This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times, where we analyze the beat of the changing environment, from biodiversity conservation to climate change. I am Audrey Tan, and my guest today is Mr. Rohit Singh, Zero Coaching Lead at Environmental Group Worldwide Fund for Nature Singapore. Welcome to the show, Rohit. Thanks, Audrey. Uh, thanks for giving the opportunity to talk about the work we do. So today, we are recording this podcast a little differently with Rohit, myself and the SC podcast team all dialing in remotely from various locations in Singapore. And the reason for that is also the topic of our podcast today. We will be discussing the novel coronavirus that has infected thousands of people around the world. And there were also a few cases in Singapore. So if this virus is so new, scientists are continually learning more about it. But preliminary studies have shown that the virus could have originated in rats before making the jump to humans, possibly at a wildlife market in China. So Rohit, in your line of work as zero poaching lead at WWS, I'm sure you have visited many of such markets before. So can you tell us a bit more about what they are like? Sure. So I've been with WWS for 15 years and my work has been all about on-ground anti-poaching work. And out of those 15 years, actually 10 years have been in Southeast Asia. And I've visited many of these markets. And let me give you an example. I lived in Cambodia for seven years, worked in a very remote location. And uh, every morning you could go to the local vegetable market and where wild animals, live and dead, sold openly. Yeah, there's these markets. Cambodia, just one example. There are several such markets across Southeast Asia. So what kind of animals are being sold at such markets? There are several species ranging from like porcupines to, to deers to civets and to birds, all sort of species that are being sold. And what do people buy these animals for? I mean, they're not to be kept as pets, are they? It depends, again, to the animals that people buy these animals for consumption mainly. And the reason why they consume bushmeat or why they eat wild meat can be very different for different populations. It may be because of cultural beliefs. It may be because of the so-called mythical medicinal values. It may be just to show the status that I can afford to have expensive bushmeat dish. Can you tell us one example in your memory that particularly stands out? Like what animal did you see? Where was it? And why did it affect you that way? Let me take you back to Cambodia, where I had spent quite a lot of time. So there was this waterfall which was regularly visited by the local tourists and the villagers, and also tourists coming from outside Cambodia. And you visit that market and you could see plenty of porcupines that are being sold, and also not just porcupine meat, also porcupine stomach that Mm -hmm. they buy and sell it because they believe that having porcupine stomach can... uh, help pregnant ladies. So it's all sort of things that are being sold. It's not scientifically proven. It's all mythical, medicinal values and also status symbols. Mm. You know, a lot of the previous discussions on the trade in wild animals and their parts have centered around ecological reasons. Like, you know, for example, the pangolins is the most trafficked mammal in the world and people think that it's this trade that's driving them to extinction. And there's also, the discussions have also centered around the cruelty involved to animals. I mean, I'm sure you've seen some things that are really unspeakable. But the recent outbreak of the coronavirus has shown that such markets could also have implications on human health. So can you share from your perspective how these markets could actually contribute to the rise of zoonotic diseases? Yes, there has been enough 
preliminary research that shows that 70% of the diseases uh, in recent time have originated from wild animals. For example, Ebola, SARS, avian influenza, MERS. So, so there is a clear connection between the consumption of wild meat and the disease transmitting from wild animals to humans. So these markets do cause threat not only to wildlife species and their survival, but also to human health. And this fact because of our improved knowledge of zoonotic diseases and the field of zoonotics, we are realizing that it more and more that consumption of bushmeat is not just about putting positive threat to survival of species, but also to human health. So, I mean, just for some background, the Ebola disease was actually linked to a virus that started in bats also, similar to this coronavirus. And for MERS, it was traced back to camels, right? Yeah. And, and, and for COVID-19 also, people think that it may have come from bats or from pangolins, but it, I think it's too early to say that the research researchers need to, scientists need to work more to identify. But it, one thing is sure that it did come from some consumption of bushmeat. So, uh, Rohit, how do these wildlife markets actually help the virus jump from animals to humans? So, it's again, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, it's about consumption of these wild animals, whether it is animal products or eating, uh, you know, bush meat or, you know, any other animal product. The consumption actually results into these viruses going into the human body and you know, causing these diseases because every living being is different. So the host, when the viruses are in the host animal, it's fine with them. But when it comes to human body, it causes several complications. And that uh, COVID-19 is the, is the most recent example how the virus that moved from animal to human is causing complications. Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our series Green Pals on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or even on Spotify and like us and give us a rating. Now back to our conversation with Mr. Rohit Singh from WWF on wildlife markets and their link to zoonotic diseases. So Rohit, the recent outbreak has highlighted the wildlife markets in China, but as you mentioned with your experience in Cambodia, that's not the only country in the world where such markets still thrive, right? Yeah, exactly. Malika. As I mentioned earlier, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, out of 15 years of my career, 10 years have been in Southeast Asia. And that's mainly, you know, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, Thailand. There are several markets in these countries where uh, bush meat or, or wildlife products are being sold openly. And uh, they, these markets cater the local demand as well as the demand coming from outside. So, uh, Rohit, a few years ago, your colleagues at WWF Singapore and I visited some of these wildlife markets in Laos. We saw things like, I mean, other than your typical wild animals, we also saw rhino horn being sold for jewelry and other kinds of decorative items. So why do you think wildlife markets are so rife in the region? I mean, earlier you mentioned about sometimes it's a status symbol and other times it could be medicinal. Based on your own research, where does this link to animal products come from among these communities? Right. So I feel there main reasons why the wildlife markets are widespread across so many Southeast Asian countries. One is the demand, whether this demand comes because of status symbol or cultural consumption of bush meat or for medicinal value. Second is the weak law enforcement or the weak legal framework. You can bend the market, but if there is not enough strong enforcement happening, then it won't help. And third, is the lack of public awareness. So there is really 
little awareness about the zoonotic disease or the value of wildlife or the value of environment. So these three factors combined together actually result into widespread wildlife markets across the region. I see. So what is WWF stance on this issue? Ever since the outbreak of COVID-19, the Chinese government has said that it would temporarily ban the trade in wildlife. Some environmental groups have said that the Chinese government should make this permanent. So what is WWF's stance on this? So WWF has been working on conservation issues or wildlife crimes since its inception. We work at three levels. We work on on-ground conservation. And as I mentioned in the previous question also, that we have to work at three levels. One is we need to have a strong law enforcement. It's like you like traffic rules. So you have a strong mm-hmm. traffic law, but at the same time, you put the billboards and signboards on the street saying that drinking and driving is punishable offense or you shouldn't do it. But you also have a traffic cop. Because if somebody mm-hmm. violates the law, you have a traffic law cop to take action. So mm-hmm. we have been working at all three levels and, and supporting the government agencies, ministries, provincial government in building the policies or building the policy framework that can stop wildlife crime. At the same time, supporting the on-ground agencies with their in their anti-poaching efforts. And third, we have been working on public awareness campaigns for several years to create awareness about the value of wildlife and why people should not consume bushmeat or why there shouldn't be any wildlife trade. Do you think the recent outbreak of COVID-19 would actually raise awareness? I mean, you mentioned earlier that one of the points that contribute to growing demand for wild animals and their parts in Southeast Asia and in Asia is because people don't really know enough about the harm that this trade can cause. Do you think that this disease outbreak could be a game changer in that? So I would say, Audrey, this is too early to say. So let me give you an example. While everybody is thinking of the virus that is causing COVID-19, but there is also the traders in many countries are now Saving wildlife products, saying that that can cure COVID-19. So, uh, so we, it's, it's too early to say whether it will help in stopping demand or, or will reduce the demand. But this is definitely something the conservationists and the conservation NGOs and the government have to do more research and build their campaigns around it, build their communication and awareness campaigns around it. Oh yes, I've seen those reports about traditional medicine being used to overcome COVID-19. So, well, hopefully that the science will come up with more details to be able to tell people more about the virus and it will be a good learning point for all of us. Yep. So, well, thank you, Rohit, for joining us. Thanks a lot, Audrey. It was great talking to you. So, that's a wrap for Greenhouse and we hope you enjoyed our discussion. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast at sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times and The Business Times online.